0: The opening of the letter where it tells who it's to and so on. Um, it says in the churches of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. No idea if that's how you pronounce any of those. Um, sounds pretty good though, right? Um, so you don't know. Uh, I want us to focus today on the message of the scripture to us as we are encouraged with the truth. And, and what I mean is, I know that this is a difficult time. For a lot of people, a difficult time of the year, Christmas is full of memories for most people, and that can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very difficult thing, especially if you've lost someone um, or things aren't as they used to be. Um, It's also just, although it's nice today, I mean, it's a little cold, but you get the kind of the weather that's not great around here, and you get a lot of things that people feel down and then difficult things happen in life, and you face all different kinds of persecutions, different kinds of trials, fiery trials, uh, which uh, Peter talks about. Uh, as Lord inspires him here, talking to these people in these churches, and they're going through stuff. We're actually, we may get to the to the section that talks about what they what they were going through. But know this that as we're as you're reading this, this is two of people who are going through it. They are going through it. They're going through, it. They're going through persecutions. They're going through difficulties. And uh, the, the Lord wants to speak something to them. So I want you to, on your heart, be thinking, about, okay, what is the Lord speaking to the churches here that always he would be speaking? That he would be speaking to his people in all times and all places. And I think that this book applies to us in that way. And so let's start with the very last part of, <clears throat> of the uh, first verse. Grace, and, grace to you and peace be multiplied. I'm sorry, That's the second verse. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, you, you see this type of thing in the letters all the time. It's part of the introduction, hey, how you doing? But very few of you, when you write an email, start out, to the other workers at my work, grace to you and peace be multiplied. You usually don't do that, right? There's a reason why the apostles did this. There's a reason why Christ's followers do this is because it has a very significant meaning. Grace, right, grace is what we receive from the Lord in salvation, Grace is what we receive from the Lord in forgiveness. And and for me, it's needed all the time. And nothing feels better than grace. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you messed up. You really, really messed up. Bad. Okay, I've been there and I can't count the times where I've done that. But if you've really, really messed up and you've received out of that, grace. That the person who you messed up with just says, you know what? It's gone. I'm not holding it against you. You know, yep, that was a big mess up and whatever. I, we don't ever need to talk about it again. You have complete grace for me. Nothing feels better than that, than feeling under condemnation, than feeling all the guilt and having it all go away because somebody gives you complete grace. Grace is amazing, and the Lord has given it to us. And we cannot, that word needs to be part of our lives all the time. And so when he says these, grace to you, grace to you, that's, that, we, that's what we trade in. You know the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world? Grace. That's the difference. Every other religion you go to—if you go to some, you go to a mosque, you go to, to uh, you know the Hindu—I uh, don't know what they have—temple. Um, you go to you go to these different religions, and what you're going to find is you do and you get quid pro quo ideas like karma which a similar idea would have existed in the first century for these people, that's why Jesus had to say, do you think that the people who were crushed by this tower over here were any more evil than anyone else? They had to get away from the idea that bad things happen only to people who do bad things. If you've read the book of Job, you've seen this, where they're like, well, obviously you messed up, Job, or this stuff wouldn't happen. No, that's not how it works. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world, and so bad things can happen, right? But what all these other religions do is go, hey, build up the good, more good than bad, and you'll end up whatever the next thing is for that religion, whatever the good thing is. And Christianity goes, no. (laughs) No. You can never build up enough good to deal with the bad. If somebody harms you and then gives a million dollars to charity, does that make the harm go away for you? Of course not. You cannot cover sin with charity. You cannot cover something you've done wrong by doing something more. It's a a miss. It's a complete miss. It's a lie of Satan in the world to try to get people running after things that don't matter. Here's the deal. Grace to you, that is Christianity. That is the thing that separates us. Oh, water. Thank you. Um, That is the thing that separates us from, from other religions and other belief systems. And so it's not a surprise that sort of the first thing that's said here is grace to you. That's what we deal with, right? Because God says, nope, it's not about what you do. You could never do enough. It's about my grace. It's about what I've already done on the cross. So grace to you, there's a lot that's being said just in that little thing that we just flip passes or read are Oh, grace to you and peace. Peace be multiplied. Peace. Peace be multiplied. Peace is difficult. We live in a fallen world and peace is not a normal part of it. Let's say that when the world fell and Adam sinned, and Eve, ladies, she sinned too, okay? Um, when, when the first humans sinned, the world was broken. And what became natural was very unnatural. And what was peace in the garden became a state of not peace. And so to live as a Christ follower and to live spiritually in peace is to live outside of what has become natural, which is really unnatural in the world, is to live in peace, It's very difficult. As I said, these brothers and sisters are suffering. He talks about it. He talks about what they're having to go through. So how do you have peace multiplied? I mean, that's the idea that like, hey, peace and more peace and more peace. Those of you who remember math, multiplication, right? Gets bigger? I don't remember, I just remember there's, that's the X sign. That's what I got a calculator for. So no, multiplied, right? I want it in you, and then you put it to that, and then you put it to him. It's one of the things we do as the church. We multiply peace. The church is a multiplying body. That is why we're here, right? Because Peter was preaching the gospel then, and we are still talking about now because for 2,000 years, the church has multiplied. And what has it multiplied? Grace and peace. That's what it's multiplied. That's what we multiply to one another, grace and peace. How do you get it? How do we live in it? In the midst of fiery trials, as he talks about here, and I know some of you face fiery trials. How do we get it? Well, truth, grace, faith, hope, and love. That's how we receive and give peace. We live in truth, grace, faith, hope, and love. And this is an important thing, because it's implied in the very Point of the letter that's being written, it's implied that the context of the Christian life is in the church. Well, how do I know that? Because that's who it's written to. Because the idea is that when the apostles, who were God's emissaries, right, Christ taught these people when they spoke, who did they speak to? Who did they send these letters to? To the church. Where are you going to receive grace and peace multiplied in the church? Jesus works through His church to minister to his church, and to those outside. That's what he does. So when we're talking about truth, and grace, and faith, and hope, and love, where do you receive those things that will then multiply peace to you? You receive them in the context of the body of Christ. And you will not find them anywhere else. You will not consistently find them anywhere else. Now, I'm not saying that people don't mess up in the church and cause problems for us. Right? Even in the context of the church, people mess up. I'm saying that within the, within the church, it is your responsibility as a Christ follower to both find a certain kind of person and to be a certain kind of person. Okay? This is your responsibility as a Christ follower. You're to love everyone, both in the church and outside. But you have responsibility to find a certain kind of person and be that same kind of person. What is that kind of person? A person who is evidencing the fruit of the Spirit a person who is evidencing the fruit of the Spirit, that's who you need to find. If you do so, you will receive truth, grace, faith, hope, and love from them, which will multiply peace to you. And if you be a person like that, you will also be giving truth, grace, faith, hope, and love. But what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the Scripture tells us. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness. It doesn't say niceness, it says kindness. There is a difference between those things. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If you're doing these things, you don't have to worry about the law at all because you're going to live in it. Okay? These are the fruits of the Spirit. So ask yourself this. Are the people in your life, are the people in your life that you're going to, when you need truth, grace, peace, hope, love, all these things, are they expressing and evidencing these fruits? If the answer is no, if you you analyze that and you go, who are the people, who am I hanging around with? Are these the kinds of things that I see in them? Here it is on the screen if you just want to look at it. Are they evidencing these kinds of things? If they're not, do not expect to receive truth, grace, hope, and love from them. And do not expect peace to multiply in your life as a result of the people in the church. If the people in the church you're around aren't these people. And if you're not going to be this kind of person, you also are not giving this to other people. I think sometimes we, we get in sort of the mindset that, you know, we kind of corporatize everything in America. Like we have systems and, and so on. And so I think we get that way with the church and we get kind of like, okay. The church is we have these pastors and they're they're special people. And they depend on the church. Some churches are like, no one's special, everyone's, you know, do what I say. You know, that but in some cases we have like pastors, they're special people. The rest of us, we listen to what they say and whatever. They're the ones who need to be all of this. That's their job. We get to You know, we we get to mess up a lot and whatever. And if I'm not, it's not like I'm a pastor, right? It's not like I have to do that. Eh. That's just not biblical at all. Yeah, it is true that pastors, elders, and so on have a particular role and a responsibility, and they do have a higher level of culpability when they mess up. There is a high. It is true that when I open the Word of God and teach it, I need to be in the spirit because. This I take on accountability here. There's no question about that. But that's a, that is a different thing than suggesting that there's like two classes of people in the church and what they're called to. You, as a Christ follower, are called to all of this. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. If you go through Galatians 5, and you can, and you can do this for yourself, and I recommend do it this week. Go through Galatians 5 and look at what it says about the spirit and the flesh warring with one another, and then what the deeds of the flesh are, and then what the fruit of the spirit is. And you can ask yourself questions like, who am I letting win? Because we still live in these broken bodies, right? <clears throat> you can hear this in my voice. We live in, we all the world, we have broken bodies, okay? I understand mine is very attractive, but it's broken, okay? <laughs> Turn that video camera off. Anyway, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have to let the Spirit win, not the flesh. And this is like basic stuff for Christians, right? And yet, what do we see all the time? Struggle, struggle, struggle. I'm on the struggle bus, I'm on the struggle bus. The Spirit will do this naturally if you simply say no to the flesh. And then when you have this going on in your life, you are giving others truth. When you're at Life Group and and you're studying the Word of God, the Lord's going to give you, the Spirit is the one who teaches. The Spirit's going to give you that thing to say. That's going to be bam for that other person over there. That's going to bring peace. That's going to multiply peace to that person over there. Right? When you're loving people well because you're just living in the fruits of the Spirit, when you have joy, when you have peace, these are things that you tend to give to other people. So when he says, peace, multiply, that's your job and your gift. So within the context of the church, we are to find, this is how discipleship works. We find the people doing this, and we become a person doing this, and that's how discipleship is effective. There will always be people who aren't doing this for whatever reason, okay? And most of us have been there. Well, we we weren't living this way. We had all kinds of works of the flesh that we needed to deal with. But as we do this, we multiply peace. We multiply peace. And that's what Peter is is written here by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, it's the kind of thing, it's the simple kinds of things. Last night, uh, one of my brothers in Christ uh, texted me, let me know. He's praying for me. Knew I was sick. Praying for me that I'd be able to, to get here today. My dad prayed for me last night on the phone. People, people pray for me. People pray for you. I pray for you. Multiplying peace. It's the little things, guys. It's the little things that we need to do for each other. We don't just say, hey, peace to you, and there's nothing behind it. Behind it for Peter was discipling, was praying, was giving himself up for people. And behind it for us is the same thing. Don't just say, hey, peace to you, brother. Finger guns. Do it. Multiply peace among one another. Pray for each other. Let let each other know that you're praying for each other. Make time for each other. We We want each other all to live in grace and peace multiplied. Of course, I want all of you to have your physical needs met. It's important to me, of course, and important to each of you. But what I want more than that is for you to experience the joy of grace and peace multiplied. Because if you're living in that, man, it's kind of like if, if we got that, the rest of what he has to say in 1 Peter, we almost wouldn't need to hear if we could live that way all the time. Let's keep going in the scripture. 1 Peter 1, 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right, living hope, a living hope. This is what we hold on to in faith. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a broken promise, obviously. It's not a blind hope. Okay, I have a hope. I hope that the Washington Huskies win the national championship. No laughing. They got a chance, they're in the hunt. But I don't, it's not a living hope. <laughs> That's a, that's a blind hope. Yeah, I hope that they can do what they need to do. That'd be fun. Don't really care. Just a bunch of kids throwing a ball around. But it's the it's hope, right? There, there are hopes we have like that. That's not a living hope. That's not what the scripture's talking about here. We're talking about the kind of hope here that is guaranteed but not yet seen. Guaranteed but not yet seen, right? There are hopes we have because we don't know the future. All kinds of hopes. I hope we'll have a pleasant week. But I don't know, right? Weather could be terrible. Terrible things could happen. I hope you're all going to do well in whatever. We, we use the word hope in that way, right? But this, this hope here, this living hope stuff, is not like that hope. Because what the Scripture attaches to this hope, and if we read the rest of that, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is, what is the point of that? Why, what do you mean a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Well, if it's a hope that's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it means a hope that's already been paid for and guaranteed. It's a guarantee. That's the kind of hope this is, a guarantee. It's a guaranteed hope. God has overcome the world. He has saved us from our sins. Now, because of his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope. Begotten us again to a living hope. We've been begotten, born again. That's, the, that's the, what the word means, okay? To a living hope because we were without hope before. The gospel, the point of the gospel is that prior to Christ, prior to our salvation, we were without hope. We didn't have hope. Okay, atheists, they don't have any hope. You know, it's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and disappear if only it could be so easy for them. Unfortunately, that's not what happens, which is why we, we beg them to come to know Jesus Christ. But they have no hope. Before you were in Christ, you had no hope. So you were born again, begotten to a living hope. Before you had nothing to look forward to. Separation, separation from God, death. That was it. But you were born again. The Greek word is anaganao. naganao, okay? We're gonna see it in a little bit, Lord willing. I think we're gonna have time to get to it. We're gonna see that word again. So I think it's only used twice in the scripture and they're both in this chapter. But the idea is being born again. We're born again to a living hope. Dead, without hope, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, guaranteed, sealed by that empty tomb. Sealed, it's done. So it's not a hope Like the kind of hope that you might have and all kinds of things. You say, well, I sure hope that blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. This is a living hope. It's alive. It's real. It's guaranteed. You don't see it yet, but it's my hope. Okay? It's my hope. Four and five. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Praise God. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is incorruptible. The word could mean imperishable. It's not going to decay. It's not going bad. What you have is not losing one bit of what it is. In fact, as you live in the Lord, you're actually adding to it, rewards, as you're fruitful in the Lord. What you have is your inheritance, eternal life, that is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, isn't ever going to get less, it's there, it's for you. In other words, it's guaranteed. It's not a poke and a prayer. That's what we say, you know, you're behind a tree, you're playing golf, trees are 90% air, I don't know if you know this, it's what they say. So you take a swing and you hope that you, it's a poke and a prayer, you're hoping it's gonna get through that tree and onto the green or onto the fairway, okay? I hope it makes it. No, that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a guarantee, it is, it's done. The thing is done. So your hope in this case is a very different thing. It's an absolute guaranteed reward of eternal life by the grace of God through Jesus Christ the Son. Incorruptible, imperishable reserved, reserved for us in heaven. It's got your name on it. In heaven, if you are a Christ follower right now, there it is. It's there. It's real, okay? Ontologically, we'd say the things that are. It is an actual, your inheritance is an actual thing that exists right now reserved for you in heaven. You're living right now being pulled by that thing. That's already there. That's guaranteed. It says we are kept by the power of God. Thank God. Because if I wasn't kept by his power, I'd get lost real fast. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's coming. That's the idea. It's coming. The Lord is telling us through the scripture that our hope is rock solid. It is grounded in the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess, we don't have to doubt. It's our inheritance. We talked about this, if you've been around for a while, in Romans 8. There's a lot of talk about how we're God's sons, God's heirs, God's, God's children, right? We have this inheritance. Now, if the person you trust most in the world, the person in your life who you just trust, when they say something, you believe it's true. Now, imagine that that person also was very wealthy. Okay, real rich, they're doing real good. And they said to you, I have a 10 carat diamond for you. It's worth $100 million. I've set it aside for you, and it's safe. And on your next birthday, it's reserved for you. It's gonna be yours. You're gonna have a $100 million diamond on your next birthday. And you trust this person implicitly. Everything they've done shows you that they're telling you the truth. What if you started having money problems that year before your birthday? How much are you going to let that bother you when you know you've got $100 million coming, just waiting for you on your birthday? You're not going to fret nearly as much when you have that kind of a hope, right? In fact, even if you had to eat ramen and live outside, you'd deal with it and probably have a good attitude about it, being like, my birthday's coming. A little more shrimp ramen, right? You'd make it. Why? Because your hope is secure. The person you trust the most in the world, who has all that money, said, you got $100 million waiting for you, a diamond. I tried to find the most imperishable thing I could find for this example. It ain't going away. You can't cut those things. They're legit. Not the ones I buy. The ones I buy are made out of glass, but uh, don't tell my wife. She's not here this week. (laughs) That's not true. It's not true. It better not be true. Somebody owes me. It's like that, guys. We don't need to be in fear. Because the person who's got the thing waiting for knows I never have to worry again about, never got to be concerned about money again. Got the $100 million. And the Lord is saying this to you. Listen, you have eternally secured your eternal life. Okay? Okay? Backwards, forwards, and every your eternal life is secured. So when you go through difficult things, yes, they're difficult. Eating ramen and living outside, it would be difficult. For sure, for me, for sure. I actually like ramen, but I don't want to cook it outside. I don't want to live outside. I don't want to poop outside. You know, people are doing that. Go to Portland, in some places in Vancouver. It's rough. And we should hurt for them because it is difficult, right? You go into the difficulty, but the difficulty becomes so much easier when you have a secure, guaranteed hope that you all are the richest people that there ever could be. Your sons and daughters of God, you are joint heirs with Christ. Okay, it's happening. Now you might go, but it's not happening today. Grow up. It is happening. Your life is nothing. It's a whisper. It's a whisper. It's nothing in the grand scheme of time. Your life is very short. And so, you have your guarantee. You never have to be concerned about the difficulties you face and the fiery trials. Doesn't mean they don't hurt, it just means you don't have to fear them, you don't have to be concerned about them. That's what Scripture is telling us. We do not need to fear the difficulties in this very short life because we have a living hope, a guarantee. We have an inheritance waiting for us with God in heaven, and it cannot be corrupted, and it will not perish. Just like a diamond doesn't break, even more so, our promise of eternal life and joy and grace and peace multiplied in love does not break, does not fade. It is there, it is guaranteed. So if you can think to yourself the next time you go through a difficult time, you go, if I, if I knew I had that diamond there on my birthday, I could probably face a lot and you go, I got a lot more than that waiting for me. I got a lot more than that. Can I let that give me peace multiplied? Because by grace, by faith in Christ, by his power, I have everything waiting to be revealed. And yeah, we want it. I'm like, bring it now. Come back, Lord. I'm ready. But when he goes, no, David, your job, all believers' job, is to continue to do the Great Commission until I come. Because we want others to have that same thing. And I think how important that is. When you, when you tell someone the gospel and God draws them to himself, They've just received something that is more than you could give them if you earned all the money in the world and handed it to them. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? By the inverse, when a man gets his soul, he gets more than the whole world. You have something. If I gave you, if I said, hey, here's $100 million, you've got to go find 10 people and give them $10 million. How hard would that be for you? Not difficult, right? And you wouldn't feel embarrassed at all. Hey, so-and-so, here's to, I said, it's gotta be the unbelievers. $10 million each. You'd be like, no problem. 10 unbelievers, in a second, you'd find them, you'd give them the money, you'd be happy about it. You'd, you recognize what you were giving them, they'd be happy about it, you'd be happy about it. But when I say, give them something that's more, worth more than the whole world, we're like, I don't know, they don't really want that. They don't really understand it. Something to think about. What you actually have to offer when you are bringing the gospel to people. All right, let's look at the bookend of this chapter, of chapter one, which we're just going to move down to the last four verses, okay? Um, uh, and we'll come back to the rest of it, but I want to I sort of bookend it because he actually says this here, and then he says something very similar at the end of the chapter, I want to go through it. This is First Peter 1, 22 through 25. So this is what he says. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now, what's happening here? This is what's happening. Peter is sort of bookending the section in the middle where he's going to talk about the fiery trials and the amazing things that God has done. But, but he's, putting the, he's talking about the hope thing, the guarantee of that, and he talks about it in two ways. Two ways. First he says, he uses the word, and how do I pronounce it? Anagana, anaganao, okay? It doesn't matter how you pronounce it, but that is the Greek word. He uses it up here and says you're born again, right? In that case, what does he say? Um, begotten. That's how we translate it in English. Down lower, we translate it born again. Same word, means born again. And he says you're begotten, again, to a living hope. And then he says, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Okay, so the same thing is happening. He's saying, listen, you were of corruptible seed. You were of sin, and you were born again. Same thing here. Hey, you're, you're begotten again to a living hope, dead and alive. So, he, so this is the imagery that he's giving you. Okay, And the, in the first case, he says that this is because of the gospel. This is because of the resurrection of Christ, right? Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. This time, he says, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So what he's doing is he's saying, listen, in case you didn't get it the first time, because I know you're going through stuff. And if the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead by itself wasn't enough, you also have the promise of the word of God that this is going to happen. And the word of God is always true. It abides forever. It will not pass away. The word of God does not return void. And so he says, you have this promise, you have this hope, and I'll give you two witnesses to it, two things through which you can guarantee this hope. The first one, he said, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second one, he goes into, the word of the Lord, which endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That's what we've got. We've got it proclaimed by Jesus that he rose again. Probably trust him. Then you have it by the word of God, which over and over and over promises you this hope. And he's saying, Look, you can trust this. Why is that important? Because we doubt, we struggle. I do, you probably do. You go through times and you're like, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing feel like things are, are going not the way that they should be going because I feel like I'm doing the thing and then this thing isn't happening. We go through difficult times and we doubt. And, and what's happening here in First Peter is he's saying, listen, I get it. I get it. Lord willing, we'll get into it next time about what he's saying there in the middle of this chapter about the difficulties they're going through. But he's saying, I get it. But here's the guarantee. Here's the guarantee. Now, if you're walking through your life And constantly walking in this guarantee. I know, I know that I'm saved. I know that I have grace, peace multiplied, joy, truth, faith, hope, all all of that. I know I have all that. There it is waiting for me. there's There's the 100 million bucks. Just make it to my birthday. There's everything. Just keep moving forward. It will be revealed in the right time for you. You might die today, you might die tomorrow. The Lord may come to get us whatever the case is, either way, it's a short time in the grand scheme of things before you are receiving that inheritance that's sitting there reserved for you. Now, if you kind of live in that, if you live in that, you're more likely to live in the fruit of the Spirit. If you live in that, you're less likely to struggle, doubt, right? You're less likely to feel depressed. You're like the guy sitting there, living outside, freezing, eating the ramen, going, 22 more days to my birthday. Got 100 million bucks waiting for me. Right? It just makes you feel different. Warms you up inside. That's who you are. And God is telling us this here in 1 Peter. And we know Peter struggled. Right? And yet God had taken him to the point where he understood this rock-solid. And I think that's where we need to be too. Because if we do that, we walk around knowing what we have, knowing what God has done for us. We're much more likely to give that to others. I got five minutes left to do communion, so let's pray. Father.